Hey, my name is Alex, and you are listening to Lunchbox Radio. Now, I want to thank everybody who listened to my episode about Shin Godzilla. I know that was not technically an anime, but once again, directed by Hideki Anno, it might as well have been. If you haven't seen Shin Godzilla yet, and you're interested, you're like, where the, where the hell is this thing streaming? The answer to Amazon. Every time you don't know something's streaming, the answer is, go rent it on Amazon. Um, I'm not sure if that required you to have a Prime membership and access to Amazon Video, but I do because I'm a monster who pays for all the things. <sighs> but yeah, so <laughs> ignoring that deeply bizarre sigh, um, and deeply saddened sigh, um, yeah, I pay for all the things, so I have access to kind of anything, anywhere when it's dreaming. But, um, no, so definitely go check out Shin Godzilla if or when you get the chance. It's, it's worth, it's worth the four dollars. And don't do what I did and rent it and, like, let it sit for 15 of the 30-day rental period and be like, oh shit, you wanted to watch that. Not only because you were interested, but because you wanted to talk about it. And then you watch Black Lagoon again because you have a problem. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so thanks to everybody who listened to that, and thanks also to everyone who has been listening to the podcast entirely. I am stunned at the fact that, it, like, it jumps every time I release an episode, and I am ultra appreciative of this. Um, if you are not sick and tired of hearing me, you know, banter on, but maybe you want me to banter on to you about games, specifically anime-themed games, I'm gonna put a link to my new, very underwatched because I'm not magical somehow by the internet standards, um, let's play videos of Naruto Ninja Storm 2, because I wanted to play through those, um, and I thought it would be interesting to stream them, and by stream them I mean record videos of them and put them up on YouTube, not live stream them, because I, I can, I can get the equipment to like, record play, a playthrough video, but I, the, the equipment to stream properly in the way that you want to stream properly, while not prohibitively expensive, is not, it's not conducive to existing in a room with it. Like, you, you can pick up a PVR rocket for, like, under 150 bucks, like in 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 adult world, it's it's like a thought experiment of like I I can spend this like I'll think about it, but I can totally spend this and be okay. But like once you get into streaming, and especially since I am a Mac based human, I used to be Mac based for work. Now I'm just Mac based for life in general. I'm PC based for work for reasons. But, like, when you start having to look at, like, okay, now I want to stream games, so I gotta, like, get all the connectors, and get, like, a weird tiny PC, and, like, just, like, get it, get into wiring real hard in a way you've never imagined. Like, I already had to do everything except for the PC part, just buying the PVR Rocket, since, fun fact, the PVR Rocket is... A capture, it like identifies itself as a capture device, mostly for legal reasons. And those reasons are that if you hook up like just a normal streaming box to it, because I wanted to be real cool and be like, I still want to be able to switch my, because I play everything on on a switch, but I still want it to be able to automatically switch from TV to game console the way the switch had the capability to do, but. 
I, so I've like unplugged everything and plugged everything in through the PVR rocket using like a fancy switcher and shit. And then all of my streaming apps stop working because they all have built-in protections, which is fine. I'm I I open them up to test them because I'm like, I bet these don't work. I bet this is I bet they protect against this shit because if I was allowed to just straight up like hit a button and record whatever episodes of anything I wanted, I would be the greatest pirate on the internet, seas. But, A, I didn't plan on doing that, because that's just a real shitty low thing to do, and B, I... I thought, like, hey, eh. There's like a 50-50 chance that it, that'll work. It was more like a 0 to 100 chance of it working to it not working. But, anyway, so uh, if you want to re watch me play through um, Naruto Ninja Storm 2, because Naruto Ninja Storm 1 is only good in the part where you're actually playing the game, um, then check out the YouTube link that I'm going to include below. Um, I will also probably play other anime games as well, because Ninja Storm 2 seems like it might take a while to get through, since I'm only doing a couple missions at a time, since I only want to play for about half an hour at a time, for programming reasons and whatnot. But uh, also time reasons, because it takes a long time to compress and prep and edit video, especially on an old-ass computer like mine. Um, but, yeah, so uh, click the link in the description of this podcast. Um, but, in a, but this week, we're going to be talking about a show that has been, like, shoved in my face a lot, so I decided to watch it, and I'm glad that I did. And that show is Agresco or Aggressoresco. Now, a little bit of history about Sanrio before we get into the show proper, just so you have an idea of where the show's kind of coming from, weirdly. Sanrio, as lots of people listening to this probably know, but some probably don't, is the creator of Hello Kitty. And ever since their creation of Hello Kitty in the dawn of time, their business model has been put Hello Kitty shit on shit and sell it to little kids. If it's a boy, put Hello Kitty on it. If it's a if it's a girl, put a Hello Kitty on it. If it's a boy, put Bathmaru on it. Bathmaru is the like very cool, very like um, what's the word I'm looking for? The very cool, very like dissuaded penguin who's like the emo penguin of the Hello Kitty universe. Now, there used to be a Hello Kitty cartoon. I'm not entirely sure when that is. I'm being a bad human and not having Wikipedia in front of me. But that was on for a while when I was a kid, and I caught an episode of it here and there. I think you can still find it. It might even be on Crunchyroll. Do not quote me on that, though. Um, But mostly Hello Kitty is like just this brand that exists unto itself, and Sanrio creates that brand. But, 
in a very line-esque move, in a very Navier-esque move. And actually, Navier kind of borrows from Sanrio in this way. Sanrio has a pantheon of characters. It has um, Hello Kitty, it has Batsmaru. Um, recently, it has this character named Gudetama. Now, with Sanrio and, like, the frog thing that was with, um, Hello Kitty, and, like, the frog guy, and Bathmaru, and there's a couple others in there, they all are these, like, kind of fun, happy characters. Even Bathmaru, as much as he is definitely an emo penguin, he has this, like, fun, simplified, easy, carefreeness to him. And he looks like, yeah, I'm emo, but I'm, like, the fun emo. Like, I'll go down water slides with my dumb hair. But, uh, as they've existed for longer, and as they've had to create, as they've had to solve the problem that Tsukiko Sagi in, um, what's it called? In, in Paranoia Agent couldn't solve, they've created other characters. And right now, if you walk into a GameStop with a Think Geek in the te- in like the bottom half of it, like I do constantly in New York, because I like being disappointed in a retail store, apparently. Um, but if you go into the bottom of that, you'll notice all this stuff of this very ador- of this adorable little egg hanging out on a piece of toast with his little butt just like out to the side. And that's Gudetama. And Gudetama's main driving force. There's also tons of that shit in Barnes in Barnes and Noble, which is really weird. Like that that's really weird to walk into a Barnes Noble and just see like a very disaffected tiny egg man on toast. It makes it makes me, as a nearly thirty-year-old otaku, think like, "Oh, we let th- we let everybody see too much. We're going down a bad path now." Uh, and and some of that is probably true, but the idea behind Gudetama is he is just this like does not want to give a shit about anything. Like he does not want to get up. He does not want to be involved. He does not want to just, like... He, he is the embodiment of... of a depressed... eh... into the world. And that's really interesting, because that was a character... that was the result of a character contest. Meaning somebody at Sanrio purposely designed this character and that... eh... feeling... And it won out. It won out over... I forget what the other thing that it won out over was. But it shows just honesty that most that most colorful mascots from Japan don't really have. It has this kind of nihilisticness to it that is honestly amazing. <laughs> and stunning to see. And it's also interesting to see a character... That's made with that sentiment, but it's still adorable. Like it, I've seen these products and they're friggin' cute as hell. But they're also like, oh, if you get somebody for this, they're really into like this character being cute, but also they definitely know this eh, about everything in life. Um, and that's kind of the road to aggress to aggressico. Um, once again also known as Aggressive Resco. And it's interesting because Sanrio in the past has made very cutesy, cutesy, cutesy cartoons that are... don't leave much of a dent in people's minds. But Aggressco, and they've they've done other things, they've done other things recently, like I was watching one of the ways the show was presented me was I think they did Show by Rock, and they did other things. But with this one, A, they got a partnership with um, 
Netflix, which meant that they were free to do whatever they want. They didn't need to worry about network got about network censors or TV or TV or being appropriate or inappropriate for TV. They could really do whatever they wanted. I mean, if they wanted to make a weird sexed up orgy of a San Rio show, they totally could have. They didn't for obvious reasons, but they totally could have. But the thing they made is way more interesting than just a fluffy, weird little thing for little kids because it's not for little kids. It's, I mean, a, a little kid could watch it and probably get something out of it, but the brunt of it would be lost on them. So basically the idea is you are coming in on this salary office woman who's working in a Japanese office. She's 24 and she's just like, she's trying to like get on with, to get by in life. She's at the point in life that everybody who starts work eventually gets to of like I just need to go to work and I need to find something to do outside of work that is not work and makes me feel a little bit better because I she had transitioned from the idealistic I can do anything with my life phase to the way less idealistic I need to maintain my life and maybe slowly eke ahead where I can phase. And you see all the kind of trials and tribulations she's got that she goes through. And these characters are definitely Sanrio designs. But they are odd characters in terms of Sanrio's quote unquote archetypes. They are super negatively portrayed in many cases and pretty dimensional. I mean, if you watch the Hello Kitty anime, those characters are not that dimensional. They are Hello Kitty... It's, it's a lot akin to something like Hamtaro, the Hello Kitty anime, if that makes any sense. It's of the same universe. Well, not universe, but it's of the same kind of genre of anime, I guess you could say. But in Agressico, what's really interesting is that all the characters have dimension. There's nobody who's just a flat character. Even the... With the exception of the weasel dude, who we'll get to later, I'm sure. Um, but all of... All of the characters. Negative characters, positive characters, weird little joke characters, have some extra dimension to them that makes them seem more than what you initially see. So... The perfect example of this is actually Resco, the main character's boss. I think his name is Khan. And he's this big, chauvinistic, sexist, angry pig. And for mo for most for all for all but one episode for all but one part of one episode of a of the show, he is this this thorn in Resco, and anybody who really gets in his way's thigh, and he's just like obnoxious about it. He like tells Resco, "Clean my desk, woman," or "Go get tea, woman," and he I, they, they don't try and redeem that behavior. They don't try and explain the way of saying like. Oh, well, like, he just, he's, he's Sundere. He's a Sundere angry pig. They kind of take you aside and they say, no, this guy came from a time in the business world, in the business world, probably around the 80s, the way they kind of, like, the way they punctuate him with this love for bad gangster rap that feels very 80s in origin. Um, he's this guy who came up 
when your superiors would just abuse you and you had to take it. So that's the way he learned to be a boss, is, like, just be ultra-abusive to people. And you don't notice it much because you're focused on Resco, but he is kind of equally abusing everybody, with the exception of the deer girl, whose name I don't remember. But the deer girl has her own thing and way she gets around all that. But... Um, so this show just kind of shows Resco dealing with all of these, like, things, and the way she lets off stress, and this is one of the funniest, funniest parts about the show, and I'll make, I'll make sure I find the opening in it, the opening to put in, to put in front of, to, to put in for the opening of this, of this podcast. Is she sings death metal. Like, serious, hardcore, motherfucking death metal. And it's great. And it's always, a, like, a little couple second long death metal song about whatever's happening to the first one. It's just basically her calling Cone a shitty boss while she's in the bathroom. Oh, or actually, I think... While she's in the bathroom, and then while she's in the karaoke, the, this karaoke bar she frequents, that whose um, server is an alpaca, and whose like owner and operator is a is a baboon, is a metal loving baboon. But so that gives her this kind of like edge, which most shows would just keep rolling with that joke, and that would joke. It's kind of enough of for this show because it is it is so funny and it is so it so perfectly like encapsulates certain ways she feels about things um that it it's a good joke and they they use the joke really well and whoever they got to sing the metal verses in this show is really good at it because i i've I haven't watched the subbed version, because I like watching things dubbed, especially things like this. Um, but I wonder if the, if the, uh, if the Japanese voice actor, how they dealt with the metal part of it. Because in, um, Devilman Crybaby, the, like, the Japanese rap sections of that, of Devilman Crybaby are Fantastic. They're really, really good. But here, because there was no, because there was no reason to keep the Japanese in, they made the decision to to switch out the Japanese with American, or and this is possible too, the American metal song that they sing. What is is always there. Because it is a very different voice than Resco's kind of cute, happy voice. And, that, and then all of a sudden she, like, morphs into somebody from Guar, which is really amazing. And my, and my favorite clip, which I might go find and put in at some point, is when she is just death metal screaming, matrimonial freedom. And I, for about half a second, thought about getting some real goth makeup and hair and starting a fucking death metal band called Matrimonial Freedom and just me in a wedding... It's just me and every band member... It's me in a wedding dress and all the band members as like in, like, tuxedos jamming out and just screaming into a microphone. <laughs> um, but... So, yeah, all the... All the characters are really dimensional, and they're all dealing with really real emotions and really big issues, like, um, I forget his name, the, like, hyena dude, her, her, her friend, the hyena dude, is just, like, he just, he really likes her and he wants to go out with her, but he doesn't get there in time, and by the end of the show, he's, like, there in time, and... She says to him in the in the very last scene of the show, spoilers if you're not 
if you listening to this podcast for the first time, I spoil the shit out of everything I talk about. Because I can't not. Um, she says, very plainly, like, he's like, you know where I'm going with this. Like, I just say, like, I need a little help here. I want to ask you out, but I'm, like, I'm really embarrassed. Can we just, like, move on to the part we say yes? And she says to him, yeah, I totally get where you're going, but if you can't say the words, I can't say the words in response. And the implication is that, like, he he says, I like you, I want to go out with you, and she says yes. But the... Just like in... um. Black Lagoon, which I talked about bef- the episode before last, there's an honesty to this show. There's a realization that, you know, I think it's probably pretty important for Japan for to exist in, like, popular Japanese culture of, you know, yes, you can be the cutest, most perfectly primmed human woman on the planet, but that doesn't mean that you don't have emotions, that doesn't mean that you don't deny yourself emotions, that you deny yourself emotions, rather, because everybody has something. Every Everybody is a little bit off, a little bit odd, everybody has faults, everybody has something to get over, and as soon as you stop worrying about appearing like you're not getting over something, you feel freer and you can be yourself. And there's a, a scene... I, want, I always want to say early on in this show, but, like, the show is 10, 15-minute epi- episodes, so, so, like, what what's the early on point there? But there's a scene where Retsuko has it become friends with Two with like the two powerful women of this show, and basically by being in the same yoga class, they notice her, and then they're like walking the walking home, and they see the karaoke booth, and the two want to go in the karaoke booth, and they go in the karaoke booth, and um, and all three of them go in the karaoke booth, and the the baboon notices, like, oh, you're here with other people. Okay, how's this gonna go? Like, he... Uh, the way they write it and the way the baboon guy performs it, it gives you this understanding, like, oh, okay, she usually does this by herself. Nobody really, nobody in her office really knows that she sings serious fucking death metal. Um, and And you also know from the story that these two characters she's with, the secretary and the secretary bird and the gorilla lady are, like, the two, like, mover and shaker women in the office. But you also know from the story that they're very consciously putting up a front of being very cool and interesting and pretty and all this stuff. So... They both, so, like, all three of them have this front that they're putting, the two, the secretary and the girl, the secretary bird and the girl lady, put this one image out to the world, Resco puts this other image out to the world, and it, through a sequence that involves psychic communication from a yak yoga instructor, who's only dialogue is the word in various inflections, protein, basically, Retsuko ends up performing, like, a death metal song for them, and they're, like, infinitely amazed, and they want to learn how to do it, and she gets two people who, she gets two people, two more people to join her in a space that she is the most herself and the most into what she's like like she's very into that idea of just like 
yeah, I like being cute, but I also super like singing death metal. It's, I, like, it lets me express my frustration with just the world as it is being a 24-year-old in it is. So, what's interesting there is that it, it suggests that, like, the, the whole show is about, it basically says, yeah, like, life sucks, but it sucks for everybody, and, like, ev even the people who it doesn't suck for, it sucks in some way, shape, or form, because no one is... No one's got it all figured out. No one's figured everything out. There's a episode later where Kong basically gets called out for being a chauvinist pig because he is a chauvinist pig. And he, like, reverts to attempting to be just nice as hell to everybody. And everybody's freaked out by it. They're like, oh, oh, what? What, Resco it actually ended up being the one who is the one who ended up getting him reported um, by telling her like friends who are higher up at her office and her friends like dealt with it they like just dealt with it um to help her um because they're for her friends but she's like oh oh. This is almost worse. Like, I kind of get why Cone... And then, like, why Cone isn't this nice all the time. It's kind of creepy. And that... But then, then she's like, ah, maybe it's for the best. But by the end of the episode, you learn that, like I said earlier, Cone came up in a certain kind of environment. And so that's that's what he emulates. And you understand it. And he, in this kind of, in this karaoke off, he expresses that in some mediocre at best, like, 80s style gangster rap. And then, eventually, Resco destroys him with, like, the most devastating fucking thrasher death metal ever, verse ever about him just being a shitty boss. But... It, it, it's really, it, the show is about the character dealing with not only each other and learning more about each other and figuring out not necessarily their way in life or what they want to do with themselves, but how they can live with themselves while they're looking for it. And I think that's really important because all the way through high school and definitely all the way through college, you are, like, gradually trained into a track in your life. And then you get out to being an adult and you, like, start on that track. And what happens if it's not everything you expected it to be? I mean, Res Resco gets out of college thinking like, oh, I'll have a wonderful life, and I'll do wonderful things, and I'll be great at my job. She goes to work at the in the accounting department and does mediocre work at best and just, like, sings death metal to, like, let go of her, to, like, de-stress, and her life clearly isn't going the way she wants it to. But, oh... Over time, you realize that she, she's it, and, and her two friends, the secretary bird and the gorilla lady, kind of say like, "Aren't you not putting the blame on yourself enough? Aren't you running away from this?" Because eventually, her her ultimate plan to get out of her like work life is she wants to date a guy with a lot of money who's good looking and all this other stuff. And that's a, that's a thought that I can verify lots of women have at one point or another. I, it, it's a thought that guys have, too. Like, what if I was with... What, what if I made a lot of money, enough money, where somehow I could stop working, and I had a really 
beautiful girlfriend who like hung on my every word. Uh, these are all thoughts, but um, and and at the point when she decides to do that is when you get the matrimonial freedom moment, which is really good, <laughs> really really good. But then for the last two episodes, of this, two or three episodes of the series, she's dating this character Rasaske, and Rasaske works in sales. He is. Presented to you as this kind of airhead of a total loser who doesn't do who doesn't do anything without being like pushed towards it. And she encounters him at a, at a mixer. She gets ultra drunk and blacks out, and he like carries her back to her apartment. Uh, it's presented to you as, but it's presented to you as less of he decides to do that out of the goodness of his heart and more as his friend, this, like, giant, muffly cheetah, says, like, hey, bro, you should really, you should really do that for that girl because I'm worried about you, bro. You, you need a piece, bro. You need a piece. Most people, I say, you need a side piece. But you just need a normal piece. You need a girlfriend is what I'm saying, man. I'm worried about you. And the entire relationship as it spans for, like, most of the rest of the series at that point is, it's not abusive and it's not, it's not, Even really abnormal. But, and Cone is the one who really puts it into perfect words, is that she is the primary driver of it. And the, the relationship happens because someone else says, we're soft, you should really act her out. And so he does. Because he thinks, oh, that's what I should do. And then, she's the one who is always giving in the relationship. And they do this in a really interesting, unique way that I don't think I've ever really seen before. But I, once again, I can verify it's a very real thing. She has this, in, in their first date where they go to, did, to Tokyo Disneyland, which is... I actually know a friend of mine who worked there, and it, it is a thing. They go to that, and she wears new shoes. Now, for any of the female listeners, you know why you don't wear new shoes on a date. Because you usually get calluses and um, blisters and cuts and bad things from new shoes because they're not broken in yet. But, and for, and most guys realize that, too, because it's a human thing that happens, whether we believe it is or not. But it's a especially thing that happens for women in new shoes where you're not wearing socks, that you're wearing short ankle socks or whatever. And Rosasuke basically walks her until she bleeds. And everybody says, like, ah, ah. Maybe Rasaske isn't a good dude because most people would be like would would take notice of you and truly be paying attention to you and say, Hey, you look like you need to stop for a second and then realize like, oh shit, you're bleeding. Let me help you with that. Especially since you are my girlfriend. That's, that's the thing that couples are supposed to do. You're supposed to notice each other. And if you're not noticing each other, you're just one person in love and one person just kind of there. And that's never a good place to be. So, uh, after Cone tells her this, basically she has a wake-up call. And the other way they kind of... The, ult the penultimate way they demonstrate this is that she totally loses interest in singing death metal and everybody's just like, oh, 
her, her two friends, uh, Secretary Bird and the Gorilla Lady, like, oh, this is bad. This is bad. You're not you anymore. This is really bad. Like, really, really bad. You should be you again. This did not seem okay. And, but... The Secretary Bird says something pretty interesting. I think that I think a little bit earlier than that, but she basically says like, "Oh, she doesn't know if she's the head over heels type if it's never happened to her." And they have this great, the great scene, a really great scene when she falls head over heels for Rasaske for God knows why, um, because they they make him basically a potted plant of a character later on, literally. Um, but he, like, basically the world explodes into rainbows, and just, like, she becomes this, like, love-struck zombie of a person. And in a way that she is even more useless than she was when she is not, when she just is kind of, like, well-meaning, but pessimistic, and quietly angry, just office girl. And everybody eventually calls her out for being like, Rashoski is not really good. And it's interesting. Nobody says Rashoski is necessarily a bad dude. They just say he's not a good boyfriend. And that really speaks to Something I think is important is that you don't have to be a bad person to be bad in a relationship. You could be the best person in the world, but if you aren't noticing the other the other person in any relationship, then that relationship not going to work. And if you're not noticing that person in any relationship then maybe you don't want that relationship to work because wanting wanting to stay connected to somebody is ultimately your choice. If you don't want to talk to somebody, don't pick up the phone. If you do want to talk to somebody, then don't depend on them to pick up the phone and initiate it. Don't wait. Don't wait for another person. If you're a girl and you're like, I like that guy, go talk to him. Use your words. If you're a guy and you like that girl, go talk to her. Use your words. It's... This is a weirdly little off topic, but it pertains to this show. But... There's lots of rules about how things should go, and there's lots of rules about how people should interact. And it's like you wait a, you wait a full day before you text the girl you like, but ultimately that's all kind of made up. Not all kind of made up. That all is made up. It's constructs that we all depend on to make us feel slightly better about something. I mean, I. I personally am the kind of person who, when I was in college, the way I found, I found my way into confessing to my second girlfriend in college by first going grocery shopping with her. That was a real college me move of just like, hey, we're friends, let's go grocery shopping. Seems fine. And then she leaves her jacket at the grocery store. I walk like two miles in the rain, in the fucking ghetto, in Delaware, to get her coat for her. I Romeoed that shit so hard, her roommate was like, holy fuck. You better say yes, or I will. And that that was how I got up the courage and, and set up the scenario to say, you know, I like you. I want to go out with you. And I... I like to think that I'm less of a wimp now, but... Eh, 50-50. So, 
it's all, it's all about the person. If you really care about the person, find your way to tell them so. And that's really what the end of the show is about. It's about, you know, yes, I, yes, I like you too, but I need you to say you like me. And that is especially true in Resco's case because she, at that point, just got out of a relationship where it was all her giving her attention to someone else. And as someone who spent the first half of his life, of his school career, of his life in public school, giving my, giving myself to people without getting much back, I appreciate seeing a show that so directly says, no, this, this empties people out. This, this is not, it's not that it's, it's not even that it's self-destructive, it's that it's, Spends people's quote-unquote capital so quickly that they become kind of there's nothing le- there's nothing left if you're giving everything to another person there's nothing left for you so ultimately any relationship needs to be give and take and the good the amazing thing about Agresco is that. Not only that that modern idea, but all the kind for all these little moments of adult life are dealt with in ways that are pretty blunt and say, you know, everybody has these problems, everybody has these fantasies. It's like, have you fantasized about quitting your job and going to work for an import export store with a bunch of your friends? to find out that it was basically an eBay page. Yeah, me too. And it, st- and it sucked when I had to say, nah, man, I can't do that. I need to pay the bill in my shitty tiny apartment. Um, but it, it, it presents all of this stuff in a really unvarnished way that says, this is, this is the real world. This is life. And this is the way, this is, this is not even how you deal with it. It's not instruct. Resco isn't instructional about any of the problems that Resco is. Per- it has. It's just presents them, and it knows that presenting them is enough. And it's talking about stuff like, "Oh fuck, I wore my Crocs to work." is enough for people to be like, oh shit, it's like that time when I wore Crocs to work. I looked down at my feet, and I was like, oh, oh no, what do I do? And it, but it also says like, you know, wearing Crocs to work is not the end of the world, but there are still reasons you should give a shit about it. You should not freely wear Crocs to work. You shouldn't really shouldn't wear, freely wear Crocs outside, in my opinion, but I'm an elite snob, so there you go. And it it says, "Hey, everybody has all these problems, and they persist through through your life, and you will always deal with them. But all you can do is deal with them one at a time, find a way to be okay with yourself at the end of them, and just kind of be." Because as soon as you stop being, as soon as you start trying to escape from those too much, especially when you put that escapism on another person, it becomes really draining. But, um, so that's kind of, those were my jumble of thoughts about Agresco, considering, once again, presented to me at every turn for like a solid week. And I, I, I initially thought, I'm like, oh, I see that show. I see you. I know what the deal with you is. I don't feel like you right now. But I'm glad I watched it. If for no other reason than the yoga instructor, who his only line is, protein, in literally that voice. Um, but, yeah, so it's on Netflix. You can watch it all now. 
Um, it is as Sanrio as Sanrio gets, but in like the new, what I would what I now think of as the new Sanrio of we're gonna make cute shit with really nihilistic and weird ends to it, <laughs> which I, I I is kind of more of the Navier brand in a weird way. And if you don't know what Navier is, they're the people who um, make that messaging app line that's super popular in East Asia. And they have built a brand around, like, various sticker sets that they have, mostly involving a bear and a duck. And that's just, it, it, it's very Sanrio-esque in that way. Um, but, so, anyway... I have been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And if you like this podcast, I encourage you to share it with a friend, family member, or anybody. Just basically run up to people and say, Hey, there's this weird dude with a beard on the internet who talks about anime. Give me a phone. Just give me a phone, and then subscribe to my podcast. And if you're not entirely tired of me talking, you can go and you can check out my um, new... YouTube Let's Play that I'm doing whether you watch it or not, so you might as well watch it. Um, I will put the link in the description of this podcast for you to click on and enjoy or say, hey, this guy's a lot better when he's not trying to manage playing a game, too. And even then, eh, I don't know about that guy. On that note, I will talk to you guys next time.